This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's the Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. Folks, my next guest has been reporting from the front lines across the world for over 15 years. She's now CNN's chief international correspondent. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Clarissa Ward. This is so fun. <laughs> I'm like flabbergasted by how much fun this is. I'm not used to having this much fun. No, no, you, you really aren't because well, this is the fourth time that we've, we've done an interview and this is the first time you've been in person. It's always been on a battlefield or a recent battlefield or some some tragic downfall someplace. Yeah. Um, do you enjoy this more? This is almost more overwhelming, but I didn't fall over. That was my big fear. I was <laughs> like, I'm wearing heels. I'm not used to this. I understand. How am I going to navigate Do you not wear heels in the field? No, not you Definitely usually. don't. Not, no. It's trouble with the rubble. <laughs> exactly. The, the heels. Exactly. Well, um, you're in town uh, because the, the news Emmys are, are, are coming. You're nominated for three. Congratulations for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've been perfecting my clap. For what? when you don't win and you have to do the clap where you look really happy for the other person. Sure, like, sure. Though it would be kind of entertaining if you were the one person who went... Yeah. <laughs> I think I might... I... Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Okay, last week, let's get to the heat of the yeah, meat here. Last week, Putin announced a partial mobilization. Yeah. All right. And he's feigning this is all going in some sort of orderly process. Right. But we've, we've gotten reports... Possibly from you, I don't know. We've gotten <laughs> reports that, it, it, in, in, in fact, there is really no plan, uh, a comprehensive plan to make this happen. What do we know so far about what's happening in Russia? We know it's a disaster. Um, as you alluded to in your introduction, in your monologue, this is not SEAL Team 6, these mm. guys who are being recruited to go there. Mm. A lot of them are drunks. A lot of them have no military experience. A lot of them are just ordinary young guys who have no desire whatsoever to go and fight and die in a war that they don't believe in. And it's really important for people to understand that a lot of Russians, I think, have been pretty sanguine about the war in Ukraine, as long as it stayed on their television sets and yeah, it was Putin called wants it that, And that's that how way. he wants it. There's a reason he waited all this time before taking this step, because he understands that for the first time now, Russians really get it, that everything they have built for the last 30 years is now in jeopardy, and it could be a whole generation before they will be able to rebuild their lives. And I've talked to friends in Russia who are just sobbing because they understand that this is really crossing the Rubicon and it won't be the same again. And you're already seeing people protesting. And of course, you then see this incredible, I mean, Machiavellian approach to dealing with these protesters. What's the sickest thing we can do to them? Let's punish them by issuing them with draft summonses. So people who are getting arrested wow. in some of these protests in Moscow are being then summoned uh, to go and serve. And you're seeing protests in other parts of the country. They deliberately zeroed in on parts of the country that are not ethnically Russian. And, 
And that is deeply cynical, and you are seeing a really strong response from people to it. When you, when you say that the people that you know over in Russia are looking in horror or the possibility that everything they've built over 30 years uh, could be gone since the fall of the Iron Curtain and the change from the Soviet Union to Russia. What does that mean that it could be lost? What could be lost in this for them? Is that Putin has risked their national security, has risked their standing in the world, you know, they get kicked out of the banking system, right. that they had the ruble crumbles. What is it they could lose if Putin loses this war? So I think you've hit on the two central things. The big part of the social contract that Putin made with the people as he rose was this idea of stability coming out of the chaos of the 1990s and also self-respect and being able to hold your head up high on the international stage. Mm -hmm. Both of those things now have effectively been corroded. When the war started, people are just being pumped with propaganda there. They are not getting full visibility on what's happening on the ground. And it's very difficult for them to sort of get around that and really, really, truly understand the full magnitude. Now they have no choice but to confront it. There is a big difference between watching state television and then putting your son onto one of those buses, knowing that they are effectively cannon fodder. Now, the, the, these referendum that uh, Putin has called in these two, in these breakaway regions in, in eastern Ukraine, or supposedly breakaway regions, eastern Ukraine, um, what is the upside for him for doing this? Because it, it, clear, it clearly <clears throat> appears to be a, a sham elections at gunpoint. He'll no doubt say that it was 97% in favor of becoming Oh, he part already of... has. The results have come out. They Shocking have? news, guys. What's the result? Shocking. I believe it was 96%, 97%, 98%, and maybe like 95. There were four different regions. But effectively what this is, this is a smokescreen for annexation, right? So then Russia can say all these parts of Ukraine are now effectively part of Russia. So any attack on these areas is no longer an attack on Ukrainian territory or even disputed territory. This is a direct attack on Russia. And that's why he came mm. out and gave this sort of very ominous warning about not being afraid to use nuclear uh, weapons. How seriously, he says, I'm not bluffing, which is an odd thing for someone to say, especially a world leader dealing with weapons that could destroy everything. From what you know of Russia, because you, you have a long relationship with that country, you, you were ABC's chief correspondent in Russia for, for years. Should we, is he bluffing? I, I guess, I, I thought I had more to that question. There was no more to that question. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Because I don't know where to go beyond that. I pray he's bluffing, but no one should assume he's bluffing, and everyone should be prepared for what happens if he is not bluffing. I have talked to hardliners inside Russia who support the use of, you know, potentially a tactical nuke, for example, because they say it's very important for Russia at this stage to re-inject fear into the battle space. And it also would provide them enough time to try to get this mobilization going, because if it is the, you know, chaos that you've described, then they need something to keep the Ukrainians from advancing. The irony is none of this is likely, even the most extreme nuclear use, for example, none of that is really fundamentally going to change the dynamics on the battlefield. Uh, I think what Russia is really hoping to do in the long run, or certainly many analysts believe this, is they just want to keep this grinding and grinding and grinding for as long as they possibly can. Because the one thing they are better at than most others is suffering. 
And so they have a very high pain threshold, and they're really hoping that if they can maximize this, keep it going as long as possible, that they will start to see support waning for Ukraine. Now, what they haven't banked on, and what I have been covering for war for 20 years, and I have seen over and over again, the people who win usually are the people whose hearts are in it. The people who believe it, they feel it, they fight for it. Well, let's talk about feeling and fighting. Uh, you've also reported from Iran in the past. What do you make of what's going on there with the uh, protests um, uh, in, in the streets and, and the questioning of the leadership, especially the women protesting in the streets? It is extraordinary, the bravery of these women. I mean, next level. A 22-year-old woman was reportedly beaten to death for daring to show her hair. And this groundswell that you have seen of women going out and pulling off their headscarves and demanding to no longer be second-class citizens, effectively, and risking everything, their lives, their livelihoods, their security, and the idea of how frightening that is to these majority, sorry to say it, geriatric men who have been ruling Iran for four decades, now I'm never gonna get a visa. <laughs> but it's an extraordinary thing to see. Well, Clarissa, thank you so much for being here. Good thank to see you. you again. This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. If you're enjoying The Late Show Poncho, leave us a five star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 11.35, 10.35 Central on CBS and Paramount+. And for more exclusive Late Show content, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube. CBS Sunday, after The Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.